That was pretty awful. Good morning, Life Church. There we go. Much better, much better. Well, it is uh, great to see each one of you, and uh, I, uh, for some of you know, but in, now I'm going to tell everybody, right, because I've got no secrets in my life. I had a, uh, had a small surgery a couple of weeks ago and uh, recovering uh, still from that, and under doctor's orders, uh, he said, you need to take a little bit of time off, and uh, I am uh, grateful for that opportunity. Um, and so uh, the last couple of weeks, I'm really grateful for Pastor John and Pastor Alfred uh, for filling the pulpit, and I know last week there are many of you who came forward and uh, just said, God, we need to have a fresh start in our lives. And so I'm just so excited to see what God is doing uh, here at Life Church, uh, Utah. Heard some great stories of transformation. God is up to some great things. And I can't wait to be able to share some of those with you here in the coming weeks. Um, but this week, uh, because doctor said one more week, uh, we have uh, a special guest who is with us. Now, he's no... no um, no stranger to Life Church, and neither his, is his wife, but uh, Forrest and Allison White have been a part of Life Church Utah for many, many years. And you guys might not know them because they've been gone for a number of years. Uh, the last four years or so, they have been out at the Twilla campus of uh, Life Church Utah. And uh, for the last three and a half years or so, three years, uh, he led the worship out there uh, after they had moved out to Twilla. And uh, in a season of transition this last year, uh, kind of stepped up, and, and uh, we kind of worked through some things and figured out, you know what, Forrest would be fantastic to be the pastor out at the Life Church Tooele campus. And so he is a part-time out there. He carries a full-time job working for Pepsi. And then in his spare time, which is not much, in his spare time, uh, he, uh, he leads the congregation out in Tooele. And today we're privileged to have uh, his whole family with us. And so uh, Allison and Ava and Harrison, can you guys stand up really quickly? This is his wife and his two lovely children. And Grandpa in the back taking pictures. And I think uh, Forrest's parents are here as well somewhere. I met them uh, a little bit earlier. But it really is great to have uh, Forrest with us uh, this morning to share the word. I know you're going to be challenged. Uh, it's a great word. And so would you please welcome, a Life Church welcome, uh, to Pastor Forrest White. Ooh. Hi. Man, let me get the, the lid off of my water there. It's great to be here this morning. Um, it's a lot different here than in Tooele. Our, our max capacity is about 80 people. And so when I'm speaking on a Sunday morning, I, we're right there. We're face to face. So it's a little different to be in such a large room. But it shouldn't be too unfamiliar because I, I did. I, being here is like coming home. Um, this is where I grew up. This is, um, this is, this is home. Uh, my mom started coming here when I believe I was a toddler. Um, so it was uh, many, many years ago. And I remember, um, I don't know if I was in the nursery, but I remember uh, Patty Mason and her toddler class. And uh, she, I know she taught that for many, many years. Um, and then uh, my sisters went through a class and then going into children's church. And I remember the Pendarvises leading uh, children's ministry for a while. And then Jeff and Benita Hansen led for a little while and teaching us all of the, the Bible stories and, and the songs that go along with them. Uh, the, you know, the classic, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm 
And then you go through the whole body, and it's just to wear the kids out, I think, really. Um, but, you know, learning those songs, this little light of mine, and growing up, and then supposed to graduate and go into the youth group, a group that I never really fit in with. I was kind of the awkward kid. So I would sit with my mom in this section about three or four rows from the back. But when I come here, it, it's flooded with memories. I, I remember when this building looked nothing like it does now. I remember vaguely the construction of the balcony being put in. I remember when these hallways were much narrower. Uh, I remember the gym that had basketball hoops and a scoreboard uh, and a stage that was used as a stage. So when I come here, uh, you know, I can see uh, Roy and Alvina Slaughter sitting over here and him showing me his harmonica and even playing it for me. I remember uh, Francis Hester sitting here and Marguerite Sanchez, who worked in the offices for many, many years. Um, this was the youth section. Um, kind of just was. That's where they all sat with the youth pastor. Um, I remember John and, and Sammy Hernandez. He would play John the Disciple in the Passion Play. And uh, it just, and I can't leave out my, my good friend, Randy Gallegos, who was always in the middle, in the back, hooting and hollering through the whole message. Um, this, it's, it's, like, it's like coming home. You know, at Easter, this place would transform into Jerusalem. It was something to see. This side would become Pontius Pilate's palace, where you'd have the court scene between him and Jesus. And on this side, you would have the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the middle, it was the streets of Jerusalem, or the upper room, um, where healings and teachings took place. And right here in the front is where the cross scene would happen. And then back in the baptismal there was where the stone or the tomb was, and the stone would be rolled away, and Jesus would come out victorious. It was something that was an awesome thing to be a part of. And there's then this lanky kid from West Jordan. That's me. I'm not so lanky anymore. Um, but coming to church, I, I loved it. And I hated it. There was a season where I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, when I was a teenager, not so much. But, but we were here. And I remember as a kid, I always had these dreams of grandeur. Um, I remember for the first dream was to be an NBA star. By ninth grade, I was about 6'5". And so my hope was that I would hit that high school growth spurt and be taller than Pastor Rich. 6'9 was the perfect height because I wanted to be like Carl Malone. And then it didn't happen. But I played through high school. I had a pretty good run in high school, but that dream kind of ended that last season. And I, I probably could have played at a junior college, um, but the dream shifted because for graduation, mom and dad bought me a Fender Stratocaster. And so now the dream was to be one of the great blues guitarists that my name would be in the same talks as Stevie Ray Vaughan and Eric Clapton, Buddy Guy, Muddy Waters, and B.B. King and Freddie King. So I would devote hours and hours and hours to playing the guitar. I think I drove my mom crazy. I had my dad's old speakers, about yay big, 12-inch subs, mids and tweeters, rattle in the house, crank the amplifier, and try to copy everything I heard. And I, I played the guitar. I got okay. Um, had a little stint in a band with our, our very own Steve Lamb, the worship leader here, in his band Steadfast. Um, 
And I did that, and I even played on the worship team here for quite a while. But then that dream shifted because at age 19, I changed. You see, my faith, I told this story to Tooele, the Tooele campus a couple weeks ago. My faith was my mom's faith growing up. But at 19, it became my faith. And I remember the last Sunday that um, Pastor Robert Smith preached. I was sitting here with my mom, and I thought to myself, I could listen to him all day long. And that would be a pretty cool job. And that dream, it died, well, it went into, uh, it, it hit itself for a while through high school. But then at 19, it, it found a, a new resurgence in, in who I was. And now my life was about discovering who Jesus is and discovering what his plan was for my life, how he wanted to use me. So here at the church, they had a program called Master's Commission. And a traditional master's commission, you leave home and you go to a host home, out, usually out of state, and you go to the church, you study, you train for a ministry you want to do. Ours was different. To me, it was more like an internship because me, along with three other guys, lived in this church. Um, this is where we ate, we slept, we worked out, um, we did work. We were the custodial staff. We were the construction workers. We were the chapel teachers. Um, we would joke a lot of times we felt like the slaves of the church because people knew we were here, so it wasn't uncommon to get a knock on the door at, you know, six in the morning, nine at night. Hey, uh, we need help setting up or tearing down. And so there, there we were. We were there. But it's three years that I, I would not trade for anything. But this master's commission um, had a conference down in Arizona at Tommy Barnett's church. And it's a huge church. Um, and the master's commissions from all over the country would come together, and they would have classes. If you wanted to be a worship leader, you could go to that class. A speaker, a writer, whatever it was, they had a class for it. So we went down for a week, and it was crazy, because that, that church had, I think it's three balconies. And so this place is packed with a bunch of 20-year-olds, and they're jumping on them balconies, and they were flexing, and I was like, it's going to fall? It was, it was crazy. But there was a class right at the end, and um, during this class, they gave us a piece of paper. And it said, on this piece of paper, write down how you believe God wants to use you. What is the dream God has put in your heart? And so I got my piece of paper, wrote it down. And then after you did that, they had what they called the mountain. And on their property, they had a good-sized rocky hill. It looked like a mountain, but it wasn't like the Wasatch Mountains. But it was a good size. And you take that note, and you go up to the mountain, and you pray over it. And you leave it there as if, okay, God, we're in this together. I'm leaving this dream with you, and, and I'm taking it with me, and we're going to do something great. The thing I wrote on my card might seem a little crazy, but they encouraged us, take your dream and add the God factor to it. Because whatever you think you could do maybe on your own, add God to it, and you can do exponentially more. So I went a little crazy, I guess. I wrote down on my card that my desire was for God to use me to lead one million people to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, whether it be through preaching, through music, or through literature. And I left it there. And I've realized, I've noticed something about myself. I've always wanted to be great. 
whether it was being a, an NBA star and having my name be in, in the talks with Michael Jordan's, the Larry Bird's, and the Magic Johnson's, the Carl Malone's, or if it was to be a blues great and have people say my name with the Clapton's and the Stevie Ray Vaughan's, or if it was a minister to be someone that was used for extraordinary things. I've always had this desire to be great, to do great, to be extraordinary. You know, and I think that's a part of our culture. We can do anything. If you can dream it, you can achieve it. I think we've all heard a slogan like that. And that's the amazing thing about where we live. The sky is the limit when it comes to your dreams, to your hopes of greatness. You know, have any of you watched The Last Dance? It's the docu-series that chronicles Michael Jordan's last NBA season with the Bulls and it goes over his whole career, really. And that was a man that was driven for greatness, for success. If you told him he couldn't do it, he was going to prove you wrong and more than likely embarrass you in the process. Uh, it was something that he was driven towards. And then Allison and I, um, my wife, we watched a documentary on Dolly Parton. And she's one of 12 kids, always felt like she was a little different than the rest of them and had this desire to be great, to make a name for herself and did everything she could to promote that and to build that, to achieve that goal. Are any of you like that? Can you relate with me in this idea of wanting to achieve great things? You know, I think it's something that's inside of us. I think most of us growing up, we want to do something great. If I'm going to be a hairstylist, I'm going to be the best. If I'm going to be a truck driver, I'm going to do the best. If I'm going to be a, a doctor or a lawyer, I want to be the best. We have this desire inside of us to do great things. And sometimes when we don't achieve them, we, we end up calling them pipe dreams. But I think at some point we all have this desire to do something great. And I don't think it's just an American thing. I think it's something that's inside of us because we see it throughout time and throughout history. And a story we're going to look at today is the disciples arguing about who is going to be great. We find the story in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. And as I put this message together, I had this thought. And it was this, we achieve greatness when we love the least of these. We achieve greatness when we love the least of these. Now, this might seem like some nice little saying. I take it, put it in my pocket, take it home with me. But my hope is that as we unpack the text and, and, and really look at what it's saying, my hope is that you're challenged this morning. Because if we can get this truth, this principle inside of us, this is earth-changing, heaven-filling truth. So let's take a look at it in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. It says, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, 
but the one who sent me. Let's pray. Father, come to you this morning, and I thank you for this opportunity to go into your word and to pull out truths and principles that can impact not just our lives, but our community. So I pray this morning that you would open our minds to understand, our ears to hear, to know what your spirit is saying. And I pray that you would soften our hearts, that we would be challenged this morning. We bless you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we pick up our story as Jesus and the disciples are making their way back to Capernaum. And they're passing through Galilee. Now, it says a few verses before the ones I just read that Jesus wants to get to Capernaum without people knowing where they are because he wants to teach his disciples. At this point, Jesus has been uh, in ministry for about three years, and people know who he is. They, they know his name. They're seeking him out. There's always a crowd. So I would imagine it was kind of hard to carve out time to just teach the disciples. And what he wanted to tell them was for the, the second time, that he was, a going, he was going to be betrayed into the hands of men and was going to die. And the Bible says that they didn't understand what he was talking about and they were afraid to ask him questions. And so on their journey back, I guess they thought it was better to have an argument about who would be the greatest among them. And, you know, if you have kids, you don't have to admit to it, but I will, um, have you ever heard them having a conversation and you want to just eavesdrop and hear what they're going to say, see how the conversation's going to go, and you're waiting for the right moment to kind of interject um, to find out, you know, what did you guys talk about to see what they say, what, knowing all the while you know what their conversation was? I think this is what happened with Jesus. He knew their conversation. He knew what they were talking about on the road, but he wanted to ask them about it. And so they get into the house. The house is more than likely Peter and Andrew's home. And he asks them, hey, guys, I noticed that while we were on the road, you guys were having a, a conversation, and it kind of turned into an argument. What was that about? And I find their response surprising. They didn't have one. It was silence. They didn't say anything. I don't know if it's because they were embarrassed. Perhaps they knew that that conversation went against a lot of the lessons that Jesus had been teaching them. Have any of you ever had a lesson lost on you? Like there's something you should have got, but you didn't get it. Um, Allison tells me all the time I have lessons lost on me. Uh, if we were to do a raise of hands, every husband should raise their hand just to make sure they didn't get in trouble. Um, <laughs> Because she'll, she'll tease me. She's like, you don't ever listen to me. Yeah, I do. That lesson was just for you and not for me. <laughs> but regardless of why they didn't say anything, Jesus, he doesn't scold them. He just sits down as was customary in that culture. The teacher would sit down and they would gather around him. And he says to them in verse 35, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. If you want to be first, you must be last and servant of all. If you want to be first, you must be last. Some translations say, and even uh, a verse further into the book of Mark says, slave of all. You know, this language is quite familiar. It goes back to uh, a verse that 
was talked about last week. It's synonymous with it. It says, he must deny himself, Jesus talking to his disciples, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. I shared with the Tooele campus last week that true life is only found when we die to ourselves. True life is only found when we die to ourselves. That it's this idea that I need to do what is contrary to culture, contrary to the norm, or contrary to my nature. Our culture says that I need to get mine. It's about me. I've got to take care of me and my wants. It's a me first attitude. Jesus is challenging them and he's challenging us to the core of who we are. He's challenging us. You know, I remember I said that greatness wasn't something that's just an American thing. It's, it's a human thing. You know, the problem that I found that we lose the sight of what truly matters in, in this fight or this struggle or rather this pursuit of happiness. We forget about why we are here and we can get so wrapped up in achieving greatness that we lose true greatness. Jesus says, you want to be great? Be last. You need to think of yourself less and your fellow man more. Promote someone else to greatness. So I say again, we achieve greatness when we love the least of these. Our story continues in verse 36. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. How does this section fit into the first being last. Well, I think there's a couple things we need to consider to understand it. The first, the child. What is the significance of the child? Why bring a child into the middle of this conversation? You see, in today's culture, in the Western society, we do so much for kids. We have toys, we have apps, we have stores dedicated to them before Toys R Us was shut down. We have theme parks and movies and game systems. You know, in reality, our society does so much to cultivate and nurture children, putting a great deal of importance on them. You know, I can hear the song now. I believe the children are future. Da, da, da. I, I don't remember the words, sorry. The, you know, that old, I think it was Whitney Houston that sang that song, but in ancient Israel, perhaps not so much. I don't think that they were disregarded, but they didn't hold the same social status within the community. Life didn't revolve around kids. So by Jesus bringing a child over, embracing them, and saying, whoever welcomes one of these little children welcomes me, he was breaking the social norm. He was breaking the cultural norm. In essence, he was saying, if you can love the lowliest of society and welcome them, you welcome me, but not just me, but my Father, the one who sent me. This is what Jesus is all about. He's about loving that person that no one wants to love. We see it through his miracles. We see it with him healing the blind, and casting out the demons, or healing the leper, raising the dead to life. He came for the sick, for the ones that need a physician. He came loving everyone 
even the lowliest. So, my question is, who is the lowliest in your life? Is it the homeless? Is it the addicted? Is it the neighbor that drives you crazy because they don't ever turn down their music at night and it keeps you awake? Is it the coworker? Is it the lazy one, the mouthy one, or the tardy one? I think we can all relate with the coworker. Maybe it's the pastoral staff. You know, we do everything we can to help teach you and cultivate you and help you in your journey. But sometimes we might say something that makes you mad and makes it hard for you to want to love us. Maybe it's the person that doesn't always smell so nice or the person that doesn't look like you. Maybe it's the person that has a lifestyle you don't agree with. Or heaven forbid, it's the person that has different political views than you. Who are the least and the lowliest? They're the ones that we have a hard time loving. The ones that we can justify writing off as someone else's problem. And according to Jesus, that's unacceptable. That's a, that's a no-go. Why? Well, the simple fact that we carry his name. Whoever welcomes in my name. What's in a name? Everything. When I say I am a believer in Jesus Christ, when I say I am a born-again Christian, when I say Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I carry his name. What's in a name? Everything. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. That name has transcended time, cultures. The name of Jesus has power to it. This is the name to which every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. This is the name that defeated sin and the grave. It is this name that provides life. It is this name that sets the captive free. It's this name that brings life, that brings healing and hope and offers peace. It is this name that restores. It is this name that shows love. It is this name that should be synonymous with love. You remember Spider-Man? One of the greatest lines that come out of Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. If we as believers are to be Jesus to this world, if we are to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus, we are called to love. We are called to step outside our comfort zone and love people that can be hard to love. You know, it's easy to love people that agree with me. It's easy to get together with my friends that I see eye to eye with. But Jesus calls us out when it comes to that. Even the world does that. What reward is it to you to love somebody that loves you back? Love your enemy and pray for them. Love your neighbor as yourself. How about loving those that you may think are beneath you? Loving those that aren't like you? Loving those that won't love you back. You see, when we claim Jesus, we carry his name, and that name means love, and not just love from afar like, hey, love you, hope God blesses you, see ya. Man, I can't stand that guy. No, it's not that at all. No, it's love that says, how can I serve you today? How can I pray with you today? 
How can I show you that I love you today? Because love is an action. It is a verb. When I fell in love with Allison, I showed her that I loved her to the point to where she told me I was annoying, <laughs> that I was needy, I was clingy. But I love this woman, and she needed to know. There had to be no mistake, no questions about it. And even to this day, I think I drive her crazy. But I want her to know that I love her. Do people know that you love them? You see, we can be great. We can make a name for ourselves. We can become legends, and the people of earth will remember you. People will remember Michael Jordan for all of his championships and for his athletic ability. People will remember Dolly Parton for her songwriting and, and who she was. But what is that in view of heaven? This earth will pass away and so will all of those accolades. All the greatness and the things that people have seen will be no more. So if earth remembers you, what good is it? My question is, how will heaven remember you? Because honestly, earth can remember me however they want. I'm concerned with how heaven remembers me. That when I get to those pearly gates and I see Jesus face to face, I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That when I see that friend, Forrest, I remember when you loved me. Pastor Rich, I remember when you were there for me. Kenny, I remember when you poured out your heart to me in kids' life. Or the one conversation where you may not know me, you may not remember me, but I remember when you showed me love. My friends, we achieve greatness when we love the least of these. We achieve greatness when we love the least of these. Society right now wants to segregate us into race, gender, socioeconomic class, and politics pitting us against each other, trying to make us think that one is greater than the other. But greatness is not found in money or monuments or your name in lights or on marquees. Greatness is loving people the way Jesus loved people, putting others before ourselves, loving and serving them, to love the lowliest among us and show them who Jesus is. My friends, if we will carry the name of Jesus and, the, and love the least of these, if we follow Jesus' example, when he said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, he was challenging us in the way we love people. When he said, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. As I invite Pastor Rich to come up and I close, I encourage you, find a ministry to get involved in. Reach out to your neighbor or to the stranger at the store. Show people who Jesus is. That if we as God's people will be Jesus to the world, loving them no matter who they are, where they are, what they believe, or how far gone we might think they are. Remembering we are called to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. Let us be that people.
that show the world who Jesus is and see how God uses you in amazing ways. Amen? Awesome. Thank you so much, Pastor Forrest. As you were uh, speaking in first service, uh, you reminded me of a letter that we had received uh, here recently. And you might not know this, and honestly, I, I forget about one of the things that Life Church does on a regular basis, and that is the messages that are preached. There's notes with them and things like that, you know, the create and all that. Well, those notes are sent uh, into the prisons here locally. And uh, we, we send those out. I forget how many received the notes, but uh, from what we understand about uh, for every, every time notes are sent out, 10 other inmates also get that same, at least 10 other inmates get that same, uh, the, that same set of notes that they pass around uh, to one another. And we received a letter uh, this week from a guy named Justin. He said, hello, my brothers and sisters in Christ. My name is Justin. I've been serving the Lord in prison for many years. I know the hurtful past I once lived has been redeemed by God's grace and our beloved Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm thinking about the love that you're talking about being extended to those uh, whom are often forgotten, right? Whom are, we look at and go, they are unloved, and yet God is doing something dramatic within our prison system. He says this, I've seen the Lord move in some mighty ways behind these four walls in an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Many lost souls have come to repentance. Sickness is healed and demons cast out. By the grace of God, the gates of hell will not prevail in here. Then he says here, um, let's remember that Christ is constantly at work and everything is under his control. I pray this will be a year of renewal and refreshing for all of us. God bless you all. My prayers are with you. Amen. And he, he, he does this to Pastor Rich as well as the congregation of Life Church Utah. And so you are loving the forgotten people without even knowing it. What greater joy is there than us being able to express love to those who are forgotten, far away, that we would proclaim to them that they're unlovable, right? So let us do exactly what Pastor Forrest is challenging us to do, is to find those folks that desperately need the love of Christ. And let us be the ones who take the name of Jesus and show that love. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet as we close out. So what do we do with this message? What's the response? Is it a come forward kind of response? No. Because this message is lived out as soon as you walk out of these doors, this message of love is lived out by you. And it starts in the parking lot, so make sure you love one another parking lot. <laughs> Don't cut each other off and make people fall away into sin, all right? So just make sure you treat each other well, right? But when, when we leave from here, and you might have to go shopping today for groceries, show the love of Christ. Uh, you're going to maybe be spending time with people that frustrate you. Show the love of Christ. This week, for those of you who are going back to work and you're working in person, uh, you might have those struggles of coworkers that, uh, that Pastor Forrest mentioned earlier, right? Love them and let Jesus shine through your lives. So, Father God, we do present our lives to you. We ask Jesus that you would, uh, you would help us to love those who are unlovable. God, that you would help us to recognize, Jesus, that you have called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. And the only way that's going to happen is if we express and proclaim and live this love of Christ. 
And so, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to live boldly. Help us to live with the confidence that you are with us. Lord, let your spirit so move through our lives that we are drawn to those who need the love of God. Lord, I think of Justin, who's in prison. He's been there for many, many years. Got to think of others that he is able to minister to that none of us in this room are able to uh, reach. And yet, God, there he is showing the love of Christ to the brothers that are there in prison with him. Lord, I pray that your gospel would be unshackled and unchained to reach those who don't know you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. I pray your blessing upon your people. And God, we commit ourselves to you, to loving you first and foremost, and then God, to loving others. Lord, we love you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. I can't wait to be in the pulpit next week. Uh, If you want to get ahead of me, uh, take a look at Mark chapter 10. Go ahead and read that, and uh, you will know where we're headed. Other than that, if you'd like more information about the 6K and also serving in media, you can find it out in the lobby. God bless you guys, and see you next week.